The practice of being seen is about understanding who you really are and daring to share your truth with the world. This is a conversation with and for seekers, creators, and holders of transformation. We believe that stories shape relationships and relationships shape stories. This is Rebecca Wong, relationship therapist, connectfulness founder, and visionary. And this is Marisa Gowdy, writer, storytelling coach, and healer. And this is The Practice of Being Seen. Welcome. Today, we have a guest with us. His name is Robert Cox. Robert is a trauma therapist in the Kansas City area. He's the host of the Mindful Recovery podcast, and he's soon to be starting a new podcast called Listening to Autism. Welcome, Robert. Thank you for having me, Marissa and Rebecca. Um, I was really excited to be asked to do this. We're planning to do a little bit of a different kind of format where Robert, um, who has been working and, and connecting with Marisa and I for quite a while, um, actually interviews us. So I, I really was, I, I thought it was an interesting turnaround on the podcast routine. So I jumped at the chance to be here. So I guess my first question comment is just to ask you to explain a little more to your audience about what you do with the practice of being seen and the whole connectfulness kind of process. Connectfulness is Rebecca's concept that she um, conceived, how many years ago? When did that word come to you, Rebecca? I think it was about three years ago at this point. Which is actually coincidentally right when you and I really reconnected and Mm -hmm. um, started just uniting as, as, mom entrepreneurs with a vision. Um, and we went for a walk together when I was like six months pregnant with my second daughter. And um, we rekindled something that we had started maybe three years previous to that. Rebecca has been you know, working on what connectfulness is as a relational theory and kind of determining um, what shape it wanted to take in the world, what work it wanted to do. And I think it's still a really beautiful dance and it's revealing itself as we go along. But what we know is that the practice of being seen is foundational to this greater concept of connectfulness that really applies to, to all humans, if we can, we can dare say that. Um, but the practice of being seen is a little more specific. Um, do you want to talk a little bit about what you yeah. One of the things we know about connectfulness is that it, it is based in theory, but what it really is, is it's a practice. It's a practice of connecting to yourself that ripples out and helps you have and maintain really healthful, um, heartfelt, heart-centered relationships in your life. And the practice of being seen is one of the, the first pillars of what connectfulness is in terms of how to practice this. And so this is the practice of literally sitting with seeing yourself and seeing um, how others see you and the effect, the effect of what that vision and that introspection has on your relationships. And you know, I, I like that Marisa talked about it all being about relational theory. Because first of all, I come from a psychodynamic approach, so that it's all about, you know, uh, attachment and relationship, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, um, and, but it's really, it's about relational theory as it applies to yourself, which I think is fundamental yeah. to counselors and therapists because we, I, I know too many therapists right now who really don't meet that space, that challenge of relating to themselves. And I don't feel like I have the right 
to ask my clients to get naked in that way if I'm not willing to do it myself. Oh, Robert, that just like, I'm hearing that in such a deep, deep way. You know? I, I feel like this is so much, for, for the counselors that are listening, I feel like this is so much a practice of how we use ourselves in our therapy session because we are in the room with and we are affected by our clients. Um, and I think this even brings us back a little bit to the last question where you were we were talking a little bit about how Marisa and I got connected and got started. Well, the part that we didn't mention or that Marisa didn't mention um, is that her little baby is that she really leads with this idea of sovereign storytelling. And there's something in terms of the overlap between the work that she's bringing to the world and the work that I've been bringing to the world with Connectfulness that became this intersection point in terms of how to help healers and, and counselors and people who are holding space for others to grow and transform, how to help them see their own pieces of the story um, in a really important way so that we can sit with our clients, sit with the people that we're helping, um, even if it's just in our relationships. And, and when I think about that, you know, that term sovereign storytelling, I think about the different types of storytelling that can be out there because part of the issue with narcissistic personality is that we, we tell stories, but they're not really true. Mm. And they're not generally internal stories. They're externally evolved stories. Mm -hmm. right? And so what I found interesting about your process and the reason I was like completely all in when you asked me to come into it yesterday, <laughs> yeah, no, 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 I mean, no, I mean, back when I was writing with you guys and you started the whole connectfulness thing, you're like, what do you think you might want to be a part of this? I'm like, Shh, yeah, because in the past year, I've, I've found somehow, at least, you know, at times, the courage to really challenge that space in myself and look at the dark, ugly places and what I need to do to change that and how I can hold that. And even find some honor for that space, you know, not that, not that I want that side of me to grow, but that I have to acknowledge it and, 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 and really dig into the pain that it came out of in order to change it and grow. And so that process to me was just both frightening and exciting at the same time. Well, I think what you're really talking about there, Robert, too, is, is a kind of central part of my own work where storytelling is about looking at the relationships within the story within yourself that right. you, you're going to be, in order to tell a strong story, in order to tell a story that really connects with somebody, you've got to be keeping three things in mind. It's about thinking about yourself and, and what you really need to say, what parts of yourself you need to, to look into, the shadows you might need to explore. And then you look at your relationship with the audience. And this is what lifts somebody out of that narcissism that just says, I'm sharing this because I need to be seen in a very one-dimensional way, that it's a kind of a one-way form of communication. Instead, it's about building a relationship between storyteller and audience. And that's age old. I mean, that comes from when we were first sitting around the campfires and, and finding a way to build relationships, build, build the tribe based on shared stories because people needed it from, from both sides. And then the third piece of that is, is the story itself and knowing that you're actually, again, to use the word, in relationship with the story. It's not just some sort of stream of consciousness. I'm throwing at you everything that's inside my unprocessed soul. It's instead saying, I'm going to pause and see the beginning, middle, and end 
that this particular story represents. And this helps encapsulate and experience and express it in a way that really means something to somebody else. Right. And I think in the process, one of the most powerful things for me, and really I did want to write to an audience. I did want to communicate to them, but you know, you talked about the use of metaphors Mm -hmm. and, and all great stories have that teaching tool in them, the metaphor, right? For me, your process really led to me discovering what was the metaphor of me. Mm -hmm. I'm thinking Robert of the piece that you wrote for connectfulness. You, you wrote a blog post that we, we helped, um, for lack of a better word, we helped you midwife into, into being. Um, (laughs) It was a birthing process. It was, it was a birthing process. And the piece that you wrote, Broken Spaces, Lessons in Healing and Relationship, we published it back in August. And it's such, it's such a, a teaching piece about the broken spaces that live in all of us and how we can use those spaces to really connect. But you, you do that teaching, you share that lesson through your own story. And that's what I think. I think that's that dual purpose that you guys have that, that really was inviting and exciting for me was this um, finding the metaphor of me, finding out what do I mean? What's my meaning? Yeah. Not just what, what do I mean when I'm trying to communicate this to others, but what's my meaning and my place in this story, in my world, you know, um, to myself. Where did you come to with that? I'm still discovering. <laughs> <laughs> you mean you didn't figure out your entire life with one blog post? Come no. God, I wish. No, actually, I don't, I don't even wish for that anymore because I've learned to really, it started about probably a year and a half ago that I really learned to start enjoying the process as Mm -hmm. uncomfortable as it could be. As much as I fear that naked vulnerability at times, I'm, I'm more willing to embrace it because there's just, you know, I spent a lot of time being a drug addict and I've never found anything that makes me as high as that does quite honestly. Which part being in the process, being naked and vulnerable. All of it, being in that vulnerability, yeah. even though it's painful, even though it hurts, there, there's the, uh, this payoff that's just amazing at the end, and you just feel Alive. encapsulated, for lack of a better word, you know, uh. s- surrounded by this great is and this meaning and this sense of connectedness, connectfulness. Yeah, I mean, that's really it for me. That was the process. So when I... So when you guys came along and said, would you like to, I jumped at it because I was already kind of exploring that for myself. And I think that the process just deepened that in me in a big way. Yeah. Do you want to talk a little bit about your process, about, about what, what we did and what that process was like for you? And, you know, probably, I mean, probably the most practical thing I got out of the process was learning to have other people read something that I felt was coming from the most profound parts of me or the deepest parts of me in a way and, and say things like, maybe you should change this word to this, or maybe you should think about going a little deeper here and challenging uh, what, what I thought about it. Right. That was both a painful and a really awesome learning experience for me. So, and, and it was a, a growth on, um, as much a professional as an emotional or personal level, probably. 
You know, I think that experience has probably become all too rare for us these days when we're in that kind of like push, 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 publish, 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 publish. It's just going on a screen kind of world. Um, so I think there's just that kind of very practical sense in which it's hard to give yourself permission to make time to really sit with a piece of writing and especially to ask somebody to enter into it with you and understand that that is indeed an important part of the growth. And that I think we've mentioned a lot of times in this conversation, process and practice, and that that really is where our true focus is. I think our outcome, we hope, are some really powerful pieces of writing that um, continue a conversation and bring forth ripples. But it's as much about kind of saying like, it's okay to look really deeply at this one singular idea and offer ourselves the luxury of really talking about it together and gently challenging one another where it feels right and where it says, can we push this boundary together? Where can we hold this space for you? Yeah, You know, you mentioned that whole drive to push, push, push. And that's something that I, I never really fell into necessarily, but through the process and hearing you guys say, yeah, we're not in any hurry. Take your time. Let's get this right. And then we'll get it out there. What it did was reinforce in me because I would not push because I didn't believe in push, push, push. But then I still felt the guilt over not push, 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 right? Mm. And so what it did was really reinforce with me that I would rather put out because I haven't written on the blog since pretty much the election, Mm. right? Because for me, it became the blog was like a very activist kind of political place to get things out there. And now I've kind of decided over the past month or so that, that I want to turn the corner and create kind of a holding space with it. But it, that may mean that I only, I only publish on there once a month. It may mean, it means what it means. You know, I'm not in any, I'm not using it anymore to try and drive traffic or create business or be, you know what I mean? Be seen, yeah. in, be seen in the wrong ways in the world. Right. You know, well, I think you just, you just touched on something right there. To, what does it mean to be seen in the wrong ways? What does it mean to be seen in the right ways? I think part of this process, as, as I embody it, as, as I am trying to kind of find my way through it, and I don't have the answers necessarily, except for the answers that live within me. And I think that's part of the point, is that we all have to find the, the path, the way, the, the process that works the best for us and that resonates with the parts of ourselves that are calling to emerge. The push, push, push that Maurice is talking about, which is whether it's, it's the busyness of life or it's the, the, the general um, consensus in terms of how to market a business, that kind of energy, that push, 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 there's a lot of, oh, Marisa, you're going to have to help me here, the male energy. That's the yang? Yes. There's a lot of the male energy in regards to that, whereas I think what perhaps our world in some ways in terms of a form of social activism, maybe even, needs more of these days is this receptivity, this, this yin energy, this female energy that's more about holding mm-hmm. and seeing. And as I'm holding this, this thing that I, I want to birth, I'm sensing it and I'm looking into it and I'm noticing all these different parts of it. And in that, I'm getting to know it. I'm feeling connected to it. And these are parts of me. They're parts of the things, the ideas, the visions I have. Um, how do I want to bring them forth into the world? What do I want to do next? What's, what's the thing that um, means something? 
You know, I'm so grateful you brought what brought us in this direction, Rebecca, because this certainly is so much of my own story. Um, you know, I've been in business for myself for six and a half years and trying desperately to figure out what to do that would be useful. And I think a lot of people have been in that sort of situation of, you know, we live in a world of, of commerce. We live in capitalism. We, we need, to, you need to sell something people want to buy in order to live, right? And I say those things with, with so many, and there's so many wounds around that for me. And I think there's a lot of challenge and damage in, in, in those statements for many, many people. Um, but I know there's a lot of tension in holding the space between saying, how do we manifest and get something out there in a way that becomes available for people and that in order to help midwife their transformations? And how do we honor ourselves and see our own vulnerabilities, our own needs, our own tender weaknesses, our own need to say, I cannot do anything today. And that's okay. Because even if the calendar says, but this is what's going to happen. Um, and I think a lot of the practice of being seen is about honoring those really sort of practical things. I mean, we are not going to be talking about marketing in any traditional sense, but to act as if those forces are not still part of the work we need to do as digital creatures, as people who still have bills to pay. Um, I think we're just always going to have to be aware of that dance and how that tugs us between saying, it's okay if I don't keep feel called right now to publish something right this instant and also being called to say, but what structures do I need to put in place in order to make my life sustainable, in order to just make my routine sustainable so that when I sit down at the desk, I have some concept of a path laid out for myself that makes me feel held rather than driven and forced into anything that's too painful. So I think what, what, I mean, between what both of you said, what I've heard is that, you know, we have this whole yin and yang idea going, right? And I, I just, as someone who tries to exist in an in-between state, I really challenge the men who listen to, to embrace that yin side, you know, and, and not be concerned about the disappearance of the yang because it won't happen. It's a flow that we seek, this natural flowing from one to the next. And so, yeah, you need that practical side, but maybe the world has become so intent on being all on one side of that equation that I think that's the value of the space you create, that it is, you know, more yin than yang because that's really where we need to lean. You know, I don't see us wanting to swing the pendulum all one way, but like you said, we have to embrace the business side of things occasionally. But it's really, really important, you know, to challenge people, like you said, sharing the answers that live within me, Rebecca. You know, I think it's harder for men to do that. But um, Robert, if we look at you as an example. <laughs> I'm kind of a freak, though. I, mean, I know. <laughs> well, a little bit, a little bit, but also not. You know, you... um you have a very successful podcast, Mindful Recovery. You're about to launch into a new podcast, Listening to Autism, right? There, there is a very big drive for service in your work. You are bringing information and resources to your listeners, to your community. You, I know you speak often. You have a pretty thriving private practice. These are, these are all pieces of how you show up in the world outside of your private life. 
And yet there's, I mean, there's so much just service-driven, heart-driven parts of you that you, you show up in your work. And there's the, the duality of that, the other side of how much you show up is when people see you, when people connect to you in that way, they want to work with you. It is all of that, but it, 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 it I, I, you know this too, it feeds us in such a deep level because in order to see my patients fully, in order to say to them, I get it, I see you, I feel what you're saying, I have to allow them to see me too. Yeah. And I have to be willing to be seen by them. And more importantly, I have to be willing to be seen incorrectly by them and create a healing space out of that misconception too. Right. So it's like, I just, Oh God, I just get goosebumps <laughs> thinking about the interplay there. It's you gorgeous. Know? So it's the whole reason I just wish the world we live in has become increasingly dark and hateful. It seems like, and I so wish that we could just set off this nuclear thought bomb that would penetrate everybody with this realization of how beautiful this process is you know it's such a gorgeous process i i want you to talk i want you to talk see you're interviewing us and i'm turning it around on you right now but i i (laughs) i want you to talk more about creating that healing space to correct their misconceptions of how they see you because to me that that is a really important piece right there. And that I think is what our world needs more of. And it's what you, you do in your work. Right. So that's the very psychodynamic kind of side of me where I encourage the projection of the client a little bit. Right. So they come in and they've been abused by father all their lives. And I am this older gentleman who is a father figure. And so I have to allow myself to be seen in that space And I have to allow for the fact that they're probably going to be angry and hateful towards me at some point because they're not seeing me for who I really am. They're seeing me for who I need to be at that moment. Right. And and that is part of their healing process. Right. That creates a space where I can say, okay, let's, let's play with that. You know, let me see how you see me. Let me try that on. Let me see what it feels like, because then I understand you differently. Right, exactly. I understand you differently and I can get a little more into your head and maybe help you out of that dark space. Start to lead you out of there step by step, right? What if I'm not really this person as your father? What if I'm a broken person who was reacting out of my own broken spaces? How does that change things? Right. And so instead of sitting with someone that they're going to be so reactive with, they're sitting with someone they've already come to trust and they can create that space in safety. And really on some really big level, that's what you guys are doing. You're asking people to come out, trust us enough to create that space where, you know, you may be angry at us for a moment and and you're going to project on us for a moment and and it's all going to get fleshed out and it's going to be a pretty amazing process in the end i think this is an important moment as i'm sitting here just kind of getting a, a, an amazing ringside seat of two really brilliant therapists talking with one another about their process um and and I've, I've been able to sit at, at the feet of folks like you for some time now as a non-therapist and knowing it's like, really, is that how it works? But knowing that you have a unique perspective on using yourselves in that process with a client, 
And so that's one statement. The other is just to remind our listeners that the practice of being seen in community that we've established so far is just for therapists, but that we are certainly speaking to sort of a broader community who may be for the first time getting some insight into what the process is like from the therapist's perspective, whether or not they've been in their own therapy or not. Thank you for bringing us back there, Marisa. You know, I think if I look back to kind of what, who we are, who we are talking to, we're, we're really trying to talk to people who are seeking, creating, and holding transformation. So the holders are certainly often the therapists. The therapists, hopefully, are also seekers and creators of transformation. And we also, you know, are talking to the people we work with because the people we work with are seeing us because they are seeking their own personal transformation. So there is kind of a broad a broad group of whom we're talking to, um, but we're trying to bring you into the conversations and bring you in to what that whole process and the practice really is. I think that's the, that's the nuclear mind bomb I was talking about, you know, is that we, could, <laughs> we have this ability to spread this idea, to say to people, come on in, it's scary, but it's really pretty awesome once you get here, you know, yeah. and just try and make it a little safer journey, something that's not, it seems like so much of what we're dealing with today is people who are driven by fear, you know? And what, what's the opposite of that, right? The opposite of being driven. So, so fear, this, um, uh, a healer that I work with that is, that I'm, I'm just kind of connecting with lately. She, she brought up this acronym to me. Fear is false evidence appearing real. Yeah, we use that a lot in, in recovery meetings. You do. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. So, so there's this, you know, this idea of what are these things that we're afraid of, these anxieties that are coming forth. They're not really things that we know. They're, they're things we don't know. They're things that we are afraid of because, of because they're the unknown, because we're leaning into something where we don't necessarily have security in the answers. That's where I think, it, from my perspective, mindfulness comes in and is so powerful is that... Um, if I ground myself in the present, in this moment, it is impossible to be afraid of what might be in the future or what has been in the past. I cannot live in two places at one time. So I am, I am only a three-dimensional creature. I don't have the ability to exist in two points in time. And so if I ground myself in the present, I can begin to release that anxiety. And I think that's what you have the opportunity to be with connectfulness is that grounding force. Yeah, I think that's our hope. Yeah. yeah. It's, it seems important to note that though this will be go live later, this is the day after the winter solstice. And this is that moment when the light has begun to return and that we went through the darkest night of the year last night collectively. And though you may be hearing this weeks later, that energy is still resonant. And, you know, last night I sat and did my own solstice ritual. And what I was really doing was putting my fears into the darkness and knowing that the light would come in order to help reveal the truth behind them um, and to let me see that the, the dawn would come and that I would be able to look at my world anew. And I, I think in, in that concept of mindfulness, it's about rooting into every moment we have and it's about rooting into kind of specific magical moments that may present themselves throughout the year to give us an opportunity to really work with a specific energy like fear at the darkest time of the year. Yeah, that's where we're going to be right now and allowing and recognizing that. And it's 
kind of odd that you would mention that in a way because that's exactly something I have come to in the past day or two myself. Um, was that, <laughs> it's not well, odd at that, all, you know, brother. <laughs> was that, well, you know, that what was that, you know, from dealing with all the election and stuff and feeling like there's this great darkness growing, I came to realize that what the evil of the world never remembers, never sees, is that the growth of their own darkness will only make the light brighter. <sighs> you know, it will only point out those places of light more clearly for people to migrate to. And it has done that century after century after century. We are in a dark place now, but this is not, being in a dark place is not in and of itself something new. This is something that when we, when we look back at generations and generations and generations before us for all of humanity, these dark times are, are so common. And this is, I believe, where story comes back in, right? We say that stories shape relationships and relationships shape stories. Well, I think part of where stories come back in to hold the relationships and the connections and the communities is through ritual that rituals root us in. They root us into the magic and the wonder, and they remind us of the light in the shadow, right? Um, I'm thinking Hanukkah's coming, Christmas is coming. Both are festivals of light. Absolutely. Right? Yeah. And so just to kind of like hold that space in, in this part of the year that we bring light in, that, that is part of what these celebrations are about. They are about bringing in the light. And these rituals are the stories that hold us. And that we're actually reflecting what's going on in the universe. I think when those moments of, of fear and human anxiety become so great, that's when we rely on source, on the creator, on God, on whatever you choose to call that divine source that's making the the universe run on time and knowing that you know what there will be a light there will be a dark and the cycle will continue because it has far far beyond human memory and rooting into that is at once it seems absolutely impossible because it's too vast but i think that's one of the reasons why we create our human communities like we have with connectfulness like we are in the practice of being seen is to just help one another locate ourselves in this space and time and say, hey, we're being held by one another and we're being held by the turning of the earth. Because last time I checked, that hasn't stopped yet, no matter how many stupid things human beings have done. <laughs> I posted something like that the other day. I said, you know, this life will continue. It may not be in human form, but life will continue. It will go on. So. Yeah. Oh, this is so wonderful. Robert, I want to thank you for this opportunity to connect with us um, and for us to connect with you. And I hope, I hope to have you back on, on the podcast. I feel like the opportunity was really mine. I really enjoyed it. So um, thanks for having me on. And I look forward to being able to chat with you guys anytime. Thank you. Thank you. And thank you all for listening.